my Wednesday night class, I'll be gone one more Wednesday night, and then we'll begin back. I've got another busy week. Uh, preach here tonight, speak at Wellette. Tomorrow night, speak at Tonquinsville, Kentucky. Wednesday night, teach here at Willow next Saturday for VBS, and then preach here next Sunday. So uh, I'm trying to keep it all together. I told you we were going to start First Timothy uh, today, but uh, I began to study all of that, and I decided last night that I just wasn't ready to do that. Uh, so we're going to, I pulled an old lesson out that I think will help us uh, today uh, in our lives. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 says, we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, so therefore we're to to lay aside the weight, the sin which doth so easily beset us, and run with endurance the race that is set before us, and we do that by looking to Jesus. But here's what I want us to think about just for a moment. The apostle, uh, I don't know if Paul wrote this, really doesn't matter, but Paul compares Christianity to a race many times. He, he compares it to a sporting event that, that we are looking for the prize at the end. So I want you to think about this morning, Christianity, our, our lives, this church family, like a race. And we know that that race is a, a marathon, something that, that it takes a, a while. It's not a sprint. It's something that we have to have endurance to do. But I want you to look at it more like this. I want you to look at Christianity, your life. I want you to focus on yourself. I want you to think about yourself, and in this race, as a Christian, I want you to look at it as a relay race, a relay race. You say, well, what's a relay race? Well, I'm not big in racing. You guys can tell I don't look like I run. Uh, but a relay race, you, you run, and so far, and then you pass that baton on to somebody else, right? And then they continue to run. Do you realize Christianity is a lot like that? Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, 2, these things that you have heard from me, you commit them unto faithful men who in turn are able to teach others also. What is he saying? Tim, or Paul says, Timothy, I'm passing this baton to you. Timothy, I want you to pass this baton to somebody else. And then I want them to continue to pass this baton, uh, so-and-so, so-and-so, as you go along in life. But here's the question. Here's the question. You think about your life as a Christian. You think about the things that you do and focus right here on Willow Avenue. You think about the things that you do here. Is the next generation going to be ready to, to pick up where you left off? Is that a fair question? I, let me give you some examples from the, the physical world. Uh, in the business world, I, I do business with a lot of different people. Cookville Radiator is here in Cookville, and then some of you may have been there, but I like to go there. I don't like to go there. I always spend a lot of money. But when some, a lot of things are tore up, I go there, and, and I talk to Howard. Howard's a good man, but Howard's about 75 years old. And pretty regular when I go in there, I will say, Howard, have you ever found anybody that's going to take your place? Oh, can't find anybody. He said, all my helps in their 60s, and he said, I, I don't have anybody to pass this on to. And you know, when I think about that, that depresses me. Why? Because in a few short years, what's going to happen? He's gone. And there's not another radiator shop between here and Nashville, as far as I know. 
nobody else. I, I've got other mechanics that, that, that I get to work for me from time to time that uh, they're getting older. And man, the things that they do, they are excellent at what they do. But there's nobody coming up behind me. There's nobody to teach them the things that they need to know. Any of you know this guy? You know this guy, right? He sings a song, Who's Going to Fill Their Shoes? Who's going to stand that? T- I can't sing it, so don't worry. But he sings the song, Who's Going to Fill Their Shoes? And he's talking about these country music stars. And I, I mean, that's great. I'm glad people are continuing to sing and all that. But apply that to the church. Listen, there are people in this congregation that stand tall right now, that stand tall, that do a, an abundance of work. But if no one is trained to follow in their shoes, what happens? Be honest, church, what happens? Falls to the wayside. I I was telling my Wednesday night class not long ago, I've got a family member that's involved in a congregation that had two elders. One of the elders was older and and was in bad health. And they had not prepared. And the man died. And they were left with one elder, which you can't have one elder. And so therefore, they had no elders for a time. What was the problem there? They hadn't stopped to consider who's going to fill their shoes. They had absolutely no plan in place. They had nobody coming up behind them that they were trying to work with to get them to see uh, the things that maybe they needed to do to help them to be the person that they needed to be. Anyone ever heard of a mentor? There's all kind of programs all over the place, and, uh, and, and a lot of it has to do with kids, and maybe you, you put them with someone that's older, and, it, and the purpose is to try to help that person to be a better person, to grow up and to learn and, and all of those things. Why don't we do things like this in the church? You ever wonder that? Number one, probably, we just don't think about it, Right? We're busy. I told you guys my schedule. My schedule is driving me insane right now. Got so much going on. So sometimes we're busy and we just don't think about it. Number two, and this one's sad, sometimes people don't want to be taught anything, right? Sometimes people don't want to be mentored. Sometimes, especially, like I said, when you're younger, you don't want anybody telling you anything, right? Any of you, when you were younger, did you think you knew everything? Nobody's going to admit to it, right? No, nobody had that problem. That's just me, I guess. But no, we do, right? Sometimes when we're younger, we don't want anybody telling us. But sometimes things that are even more sad than that is sometimes, sometimes as we get older, we don't like the thought of somebody taking our place, do we? Be honest about that. Sometimes we don't want to teach somebody to do the things we do because we don't like the thought of us being replaced. That's sad, church. That's sad. Because here's the reality. You are going to be replaced. Because every one of us sitting here, if Jesus Christ doesn't come back, we're going to die. and Somebody's going to step up behind us to do whatever. Here's the thing I want you to understand. There's things that are go on here on a weekly basis. So much good work is done. 
you as a person that is doing that work, don't you want to see that work continue after your time is gone? Don't you want to see it flourish and grow and, and, and even become better after your time is gone? I would hope so. What happens a lot of times? A lot of times these churches, they, they, they go along and, and, and they don't do anything like this. And what happens as the years go by? They just decline and decline. And nobody's been taught, instructed, motivated to do these other things, and therefore these things just don't get done. And, and before you know it, churches just kind of die out. And that is sad. And if you don't believe that happens, get out and drive around a little while. Do some visiting. And see places that used to be 200 people, now are 50 people. Now are 30 people. And it's all over the place. And one of the problems is we did not pass things along. There's not people coming along behind to step in, in someone else's shoes and to carry on the things that need to be done. The Bible says "As iron sharpens iron, uh, so a man sharpens the counsel of another. We help each other to be the people God wants us to be. God expects us to, to do those things for each other. I want to give you an example. Moses and Joshua. Was Moses a good man? Yeah. Of those on the face of the earth, there was none meeker, more meek than Moses. A great man. Was Moses a good leader? He didn't think he was going to be, but he wound up being an excellent leader. Now, near the end of Moses' life, was he in bad health? Think about that for a minute. Was he in bad health? When he died, the Bible says, still see good, his natural vigor. I mean, he had energy. He was still in pretty good shape. So God tells Moses in Numbers chapter 27, verse 12, he says, The Lord said unto Moses, Get thee up into this mount, Abram, and see the land which I have given thee unto the children of Israel. And when thou hast seen it, thou shalt be gathered unto thy people as Aaron thy brother was gathered. For ye rebelled against my commandment in the desert of Zin, in the strife of the congregation to sanctify me at the water before their eyes. That is the water of Meribah and Kadesh in the wilderness of Zen. God says, Moses, I'm going to let you look at the promised land. You've been leading these people all these years. You've done a great job. Moses, you disobeyed me, though. I told you to speak to the rock. You struck the rock. And because you have disobeyed me, I'm going to have to punish you. That was for Moses, but it was also for the children of Israel to show that, you know, God doesn't tolerate sinfulness. So Moses knows that his life is drawing short. He knows that his time has come, and God's got a plan. God's got a plan that goes hand in hand with exactly what we're talking about this morning. Moses said, spake unto the Lord, and he said, Let the Lord God of all the spirits of flesh set a man over the congregation. God had a plan. Moses had a plan. You think Moses, do you think he really loved these children of Israel? He did, didn't he? There were times that God was so frustrated with them that he wanted to destroy them, and who would go to bat for them? Moses. Who would go and say things like, God, you take me, you punish me, you, you take away salvation from me, you send, do whatever you want with me, but save these people. Moses had invested 40 years of his life in these people. 
He loved these people dearly. And he knows that his time is coming to an end. He doesn't know exactly when that's going to be, but he knows it's coming. And he says, God, we've got to get somebody to step in. We've got to get somebody to fill my shoes. We've got to get somebody that can carry on this work so this thing doesn't stop. Well, verse 17, or verse 16, he said, set a man over the congregation. Verse 17, which may go out before them and which may go in before them, which may lead them out and which may bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord be not as sheep which have no shepherd. Again, Moses loved, I don't want these people to be without a leader. I want somebody that's going to be strong, somebody that's going to be courageous, somebody that's going to help them to be what they need to be. Well, the Lord said to Moses, you take Joshua. You take Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit, a man that, that is, does the will of the Lord, that has the right attitude about him. He says, and you lay your hands upon him, you appoint him to this work, and you do this before the people, in essence. And he set him before Eliezer the priest and before all the congregation and he give him a charge in their sight. Moses does this before all the children of Israel. And God says, Thou shalt put some of thine honor on him that all the congregation of the children of Israel may be obedient. In other words, in all of this, God says, Moses, I want you to take Joshua and I want you to mentor him to prepare him for what is coming before him. He says, I want you to do this so that everybody knows that you are doing this for him. I want the people to know that you approve of him. I don't want you to know, or I want the people to know that you have helped him, that you've instructed him, that you're going to advise him in all that he does. I want the people to follow him, God says. And Moses wanted the exact same thing. You see, that's what we should want as people of God. If you've worked Ron Johnson's worked tirelessly to do this care group team thing. Someday Ron Johnson's going to be gone. Not gloom and doom, brother, but it's true. Someday he will. Somebody needs to pick up that slack. And I know for a fact he doesn't want that to fall through the cracks. I like to pick on you, Ron. He doesn't want that to fall through the cracks. So there's going to be a time that somebody's got to be prepared to do these things. A lot of times people just don't know what to do. They have to be instructed what to do. In this instance, Naomi and Ruth. Naomi was the mother-in-law of Ruth and, and Naomi's boys died and Ruth is left and she doesn't know what to do. And Naomi says, just go back home. Ruth says, I, I need somebody to help me. I need somebody to guide me. I need somebody to show me what it is that I need to do. I need help. Brethren, there are people sitting in this assembly that have an abundance of talent, but they don't know how to utilize it. I can guarantee you that is true. They don't know where to put it. They don't know exactly how to do the things that maybe they are able to do. And those of you that are older, you can, you can help them in that manner. What about the Apostle Paul? The Apostle Paul, did he know his life was short? Yeah. He said, on occasion, the time of my departure is at hand. I fought a good fight. I finished the course. I kept the faith. He knew he was going to die. And the Apostle Paul had done an immense amount of work for the church. And he loved God's people. He loved to convert people. And he knew he was going to die, and he did not want that work to die with him. So what did he do? 
he picked out two young men and he took them under his wing. Took them under his wing so much that he called them his children. These are my sons, Timothy and Titus. And, and everything that he did was to try to instruct them to carry this thing on into the next generation. You see, brethren, this thing is a very biblical thing. I'll give you another example, and this one is uh, a little bit more sad, I guess. We're introduced to a lady in Acts chapter 9 by the name of Tabitha, uh, and she's also called Dorcas. This was an excellent woman, a woman that worked wonders for God. And it just so happened that this woman died, and when this woman dies, all of these people are gathered around, and they have no idea what to do. In fact, when they gather around, they're bringing all of these things and they're showing the apostles, this is what this lady did. Look at all the amazing things that she accomplished. But here's the problem I have with it. It seems that no one knew what to do now that she was gone. Is that the way that you would want things to be here? If it just so happened that tomorrow you're gone, would you want to leave knowing no one knew what to do then. I would hope not. I would hope no one would want to leave the church in that position. You see, Dorcas left, and it seems no one knew what to do. And yet, she was raised back to life. Perhaps that's one reason why she was raised back to life. No one there to fill her shoes. No one there to, to continue on with the work. I understand the biggest reason was to prove the Word uh, was of God. But I, let it not ever be said here. They're gone. They passed on. No one's there to follow suit. Brethren, I want you to go with me to the book of Titus. We'll spend just a little bit of time in the book of Titus. Things that you've heard through the years, but things that we've got to understand that God expects us to do. Titus chapter 2. It says, but speak the things which become sound doctrine. You see, Paul looks at Titus as a child in the faith, as a son in the faith, as his replacement. And as his replacement, he says, Titus, here's what I want you to do. And I, I want you to preach sound doctrine. I want you to make sure that everybody that you come in contact with, every church you try to establish, every convert you try to make, I want to make sure that what you're doing is teaching them the truth. Nothing but the truth. He said, here's sound doctrine, or at least part of sound doctrine. He said, I want you to teach that the aged men, aged men, is there any aged men in here? Nobody wants to admit it, right? Not old, you're just experienced, right? You older people, you aged people. He says, you've got to be sober. You've got to be sober. You've got to be a person that, that's mind thinks clearly. And usually, as we get older, what happens? We understand the importance of thinking more clearly. We understand that. I had a conversation with a guy uh, just this past week, and he was talking about a family member that he had, and, and he was talking about how much they had grown up. Almost 50 now. And they finally got to the point to where they've grown up and they, they're thinking clearly. And all a lot of those mistakes they'd made younger, finally getting past that. 
Paul told Titus, tell the older men they've got to be sober-minded. He says, tell them that they've got to be grave. Grave. Sometimes when we think about being grave, we think about being gloomy, right? Tell them they need to be just an old gloomy grouch. That's not what he's saying. The word grave simply means to be serious. Now, does that mean you've got to be serious every moment of every day? Boy, I hope not, because life's no fun if you're always serious. Uh, that's not what he's saying. But when it comes to things that are of utmost importance, as a Christian, we need to be serious about it. We need to take it serious. And usually, as we get older, what happens? Take things more seriously. If I ask this room, as you have got older, those of you that are there, do you think more about eternity now than you did 30 years ago? Yeah, everybody's shaking their head, yes. You learn that, right? You learn how serious things are. You learn how short time is. He says, teach people. Teach people to be like that. Teach them to be temperate, to, to have a hold of their life, to keep it together. He says, teach them to be sound in the faith. It's so important. In this day and time especially, and I know maybe it's not any different than ever, but it seems like that today it's so important that we need to be sound in the faith. That we need to be a people that don't waver and go back and forth between opinions. Haltering between two opinions, that's what Elijah had a problem with the people on Mount Carmel. How long are you going to be between two opinions? Make your mind up and stand firm on it. Joshua said the same thing in Joshua 24. Can't be between two opinions. You've got to choose. And when you choose, Joshua said, as for me and my house, will serve the Lord, Joshua 24, 15. Be sound in faith. He says, be sound in charity or in love. He says, you understand what love is and what love means? He says, I want you to be sound in patience. As we get older, most of the time, our patience comes along with it. Patience is, is made through experience and trials and hardships, and no doubt through our life, we learn all of those things. And you say, so what? We know all of those things. Here's what Paul is telling Titus when it comes to these. He's telling them all of these things, and then he's going to go on to you older ladies, you do this, 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 and then he's going to say this. You've got to teach these younger people that. You've got to teach these younger people. All of these things that I am expecting of you, it is your job as members of the Lord's church, as Christians, to pass those things along to those that are coming up behind you. Now, question is, do we do that? Sometimes what we do is we look at those that come up behind us and we just kind of talk about them, don't we? Well, they sure are making a mess out of that. You ever thought that? Boy, if I was them, I, would, uh, I, I might make a different decision and I would, uh, but here's what we think sometimes. I, I don't want to nose in their business. You ever thought that? I don't want to stick my nose where it doesn't belong. And, but I want you to look at what God is saying. God says, Titus, speaking through Paul, Titus, here's what I want you to teach. I want you to teach that this is the way people are to behave. And then I want you to get them to understand they have got to help those of you that are older. They have got to help those that are younger to get to that point in their life. Because sometimes we can't get there by ourselves. I have learned so much through the years, because there's been some older preachers and older elders that have helped me, that have helped me, that have taken me places, that have gone with me to, to visit people, that have gone with me to study with people, that have pulled me aside, and, and maybe I said something in a lesson, maybe that, that wasn't just exactly right, and they wanted to help me 
to better myself. And I think maybe one of the reasons that I am what I am today, not maybe it is, is because people have been willing to do that. And sometimes it was hard to hear. Is it hard to hear sometimes when people come up to you and say, hey, you can improve by doing this, this, and this? It is if we've got pride, right? But if we realize that this person really loves us and they want to help us to get to where we need to be, then we will readily accept it. And we will cherish the fact that they love us enough to help us. I want you to look. Paul says, verse 3, the aged women, likewise, that they be in behavior that becometh holiness. You, you older ladies, Paul says, you need to act like a holy woman would act. Like a woman of God would act. You say, well, what does that mean? You know what that means. People pretend they don't know what that means, and they try to say society changes what that means, but it doesn't. We understand what that means, to be a woman of God. He says, not false accusers. You don't be a person that spreads gossip. Well, we could all be accused of that probably from time to time, couldn't we? You don't be there. He says, you're not given to much wine. You're not a person that is a drinker. You're not going to win anybody to Christ by being a person that, that uh, goes with alcohol. You are to be a teacher of good things. Listen to verse 4. He says, you need to teach the younger women to be sober. Be sober. You older ladies, you can teach these younger ladies that are here at Willow Avenue that their mind needs to be clear and focused and not clouded. Does the world cloud young people's minds today? You better believe it does. Everything the world is throwing about our young people today is just, I'm amazed. I never thought I'd get tired of seeing the rainbow. You realize that? I never thought I'd get tired of seeing it, but June is Pride Month, and I am sick of seeing the rainbow. I'm sick of having it shoved down my throat constantly. What about our children? What about our young people that are growing up? I think I'm going to talk a little bit about that tonight. I'm not 100% sure yet, but our world has just changed so much. And we've got to have people that are going to stand up and help these that are coming along to realize those things, no matter how much they are pressed on you, no matter how much they're pressed on you, can't give in to it. Can't give in. What happens if we don't help those that are coming up? What happens? They buy into the garbage. Why do you think so many people have bought into the garbage? Because we've done nothing. Or at least very, very little. It's time we step up and do some of these things. It says you teach them to be sober. You teach them to love their husbands. And you think, how in the world would somebody not know how to love their husbands? If I went around this room and I asked you ladies, have you learned better how to love your husband through all of these years of marriage, what would you say? Miss Ellen, you learned how to love Morgan a lot better through 60-something years, didn't you? Learned a lot. And a lot of you have. But then you've got couples, they come in, they've been married five years and they're really struggling. And what would be wrong with those of you that have been married 50 years helping them out? What would be wrong with you going to them and say, hey, I've been right where you was at. I can remember back in whatever year we were right there. And man, we were to the point of splitting up and this is how we got through it. This is what we had to do. 
This is the things we had to endure. This helped us, this hurt us, whatever it is. What's wrong with sharing uh, the, your experiences with other people? Don't you think that's exactly what God expects? That's what God demands. Paul says this is sound doctrine, that you do these things. He says you teach them to love their children. You say, that just blows my mind. Somebody's got to be taught to love their children? Go talk to somebody who works for DCS sometime and ask them if people need to be taught to love their children. And I'd say you'd be surprised at what all they'd tell you. People don't know. A lot of people have no idea. A lot of people grew up in bad, bad situations and then they have children of their own and they just really don't know what to do. Isn't it time that maybe some of, of those in the church that are older step in and offer some words of wisdom, offer some guidance, take people under their wing and help them through? I think you know that that's exactly what Paul is saying. He says, I want you to teach these young ones to be discreet, to be chaste, to be keepers at home. All of these things that we could look at if time permitted and to be pure, to be a person that, that is respectful, to be a person, a mother, especially that, that is willing to take care of her home and to understand that that is her first and foremost job as far as God is concerned. The world does not teach that today. And if it's preached from the pulpit, people get upset and they don't like it. But listen, a woman's number one job is to be a keeper at home. I'm not saying she can't work, but her number one job before anything else has got to be her home. If you don't believe that, go to 1 Timothy chapter 2 and read. Read. The woman will be saved in childbearing if she continues in faith, love, and, and hope and all of those things. She'll be saved in doing the thing that God has designed that she do. No one can feel a mother's role in the home except a mother. Nobody. Us daddies, that's not what we're made for. I'm not good at fixing boo-boos. That's not me. I tell them to suck it up and go on, right? Probably not my best quality, but uh, you say God, God understood all of that. And God says, I want you that are older to teach these younger people this. Teach them to be good, to be obedient to their husbands. Man, that's not politically correct today, is it? You mean you're to teach a woman to be obedient to her husband? Throw that one out the window and cut it out of your Bible, right? It's a sharpie. We don't like that. But let me ask you something. If a home functions like God intended for a home to function, what kind of place is it? It's a great place, isn't it? Those of you that have been married 40, 50, 60 years, you could tell younger people, listen, we designed our home like God designed it. The wife, you could say, I, I've been submissive to my husband. My husband has been the spiritual leader. He's done it. And your home is what it needs to be. You could even say, hey, we tried it for a while this other way, and eh, that didn't work. So we had to come back and do it God's way, and it worked. And it would be amazing how much could be accomplished if we would simply just do what God said. I, I'm about out of time. I preached this lesson years ago, I don't know, seven or eight years ago at Zion. Andy Paul probably remembers, maybe, I don't know. Uh, I preached this lesson, and when I got to the back door, one of my elders were there, Ted Gall, and he said, boy, that's a good lesson. I said, well, thank you. He said, now put it into action. I said, okay, what do you want me to do? I was just preaching a lesson, you know. 
He said, put it into action. You stood up and you said, we need to be mentors to the people in the congregation. We need to help them. And I said, yeah, that's what I said. He said, put it into action. Okay. So we started having meetings and, and we decided we were going to start a whole program. We were going to pair people up in the congregation, older people with younger people. And that was seven or eight years ago, and to my knowledge, they're still doing it today. What we did is we sat down, we had all of these, everybody that was willing to participate, we had questionnaires that you filled out. And in those questionnaires, these are some of the things that we ask. And you may look at that and you say, well, some of them aren't biblical things. No, some of them aren't biblical things, but they're life things. They're life things. And you know what sometimes we don't realize? This is something I found out. We had a lot of young people there. They didn't know how to air a tire up. They didn't know how to check the oil in their vehicle. They had no idea how to jumpstart their car if they were out and their battery was dead. And you say, well, that's not the church's business. Brethren, that is part of the church's business. Doing good to people. You see, not everybody has a home. Not every young person has a home where there's a, a mama and a daddy and two four grandparents, you know, all around and just surrounding them and teaching them. Not everybody is blessed with that. And there's so many things that we take for granted that just everybody knows or they've got somebody there to help them to do that. And there's a lot of times people don't have somebody there to help them to do that. And they have to figure out so many things on their own. And maybe it's time as a church that we step up and we try to help each other more. And people that we would pair up they grew closer together. And within this, they had to do something together at least once a month. And it had to be reported back, and we held each other accountable, and, and it was a great program. It was a great program, and so much good uh, was done through that. But I want you to look at these things. Uh, there's a lot of maybe younger people. Maybe they would love to do a Bible study. But I'm going to tell you something. Doing a Bible study is intimidating. Very intimidating to sit down across the table with somebody and you know that they may ask you a question that your jaw is going to hit the table, right? I don't know what to say to that. And uh, it's okay. I don't know what to say to that. Maybe that's your answer. But maybe that's something that you could do. Maybe you've got somebody here, uh, that young man that would like to learn to lead singing. Maybe they're a little bit timid. We got some pretty good songs. We had a pretty good one this morning, right? good one this morning maybe we could teach them how to do that maybe we've got some young men that maybe you know they want to lead a prayer but you can tell when they get up to lead a prayer they're just scared to death and maybe some of you older men pull them aside can i help you with that can i help you with that younger ladies so many things teaching classes you think maybe the next generation is going to teach class like the one that's going on right now they won't unless somebody guides them, right? They won't unless somebody encourages them. They won't unless somebody pulls them in there and say, hey, would you be interested in doing this in the future? Why don't you come with me? Why don't you come over to my house on Thursday night? We're going to work on all the material. We're going to get it cut out. We're going to prepare. And then Sunday morning, you come in there, and we're going to teach these kids. You don't have to say anything. You just watch. And then maybe in a week or two, maybe you might be comfortable enough that, that you might want to, Step up and actually be a part of class. Isn't that how people learn? Yeah, that's how people learn. That's how people grow. That's how people get to the point that they can do all of these things.
but it takes somebody like you to put them under their wing and to help them through. You realize successful people never get anywhere by themselves. Do we realize that? You will never be successful by yourself. You always got to have people with you along the way. Don't ever forget that. I appreciate your attention.